Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. Every week, Kim and I get together to talk all things wine with you right here on Franklin Radio, WFPR 102.9 FM. How are you today, Kim? I'm pretty good. How about you, Mark? Pretty good. Pretty good. You better be good. We have a show to do here. That's, well, you know, I'm getting a little hungry. I'm, I'm hearing, <laughs> I'm smelling some cooking from downstairs and it's, you know, it's smelling pretty good. Well, I'm trying to think about what wine to pair with dinner. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I have to admit, I've been sampling a lot of wine lately. It's that time of year. When yeah. You're, uh, trying a lot of new things. So. Good. So are you trying them in the store or are you actually going out and being with people and trying wine? A little of each. Oh, wonderful. Thank God, right? It's bad. Yeah. I'm, st- I'm really missing the uh, the social part of this industry and uh, can't wait to get back to doing some uh, some tastings with other people and reconnecting with, with folks that I've, I've honestly really missed over the last few years. It's coming back. I know. It's wonderful. Yay. I want to start out. We have an article, how to order wine in a restaurant. We've talked a few times about this, and this was an article in the a California Wine Advisor. Kim was in the restaurant industry and made wine lists. So I had a, a bunch of questions as we talk about this, Kim, for mm-hmm. you from personal experience. But for me, and you know, I'm a wine geek, but I'm sure our listeners when they walk into a restaurant, especially these ones that hand you like the book, right? It's like a Bible, the wine list. And sometimes it's sitting on the table. It might be one or two pages, but maybe a little higher end restaurant will have a binder and it's pages and pages of wine. And I look and I think, oh my God, if you just want to explore a wine, this is so intimidating. It's almost scary to go through this list. So this article was kind of giving some tips of what to do in ordering a wine. So what's your initial thoughts, Kim, on ordering in a restaurant? Comes down to a few things. You can't discount, like you said, the baggage of the menu, if that if that makes sense. So even just the size of the menu, what's listed on that wine list, immediately gives uh, a feeling to the diner about what is this restaurant all about? What is this wine list all about? How, what is our philosophy? How do we approach wine? And so different restaurants, I feel like want to convey different things depending on what they are presenting you in that book. And back at Legal Seafoods, you know, because we had so many different restaurants and different res- restaurant concepts, there was a, a, a real effort to differentiate in the restaurants, not only through what was on the menu, but also through what was on the wine list. So some of the higher end restaurant concepts had the book. There were pages and pages of wines that were stored in the cellar in temperature controlled conditions and they were aged and there might have been multiple vintages of this and high, you know, harder to get things because that went along with the concept of that restaurant. But then there were other ones where it's like, well, I just want to sit down at a table that's covered in paper and crack open some lobsters and have some chowder. And maybe you're only looking for, I don't know, 15, 20 wines on that wine list. So I feel like the wine list is one of those first things that really gives the person who is eating there 
this idea of what is this restaurant all about? And I was then going to say, but then you have the people and your, I feel like your server can make or break your experience with the wines on that wine list. So the way that the wine list is put together, and sometimes wine lists will have pairing recommendations right on them, which I think is brilliant. So like if you have specials in a restaurant and they're like, okay, this special today goes with this wine and this regular thing that we have on the menu goes with this wine. I feel like that is only a help to everybody. It's a help to the server because then sometimes that's kind of an instant sale. They don't have to work as hard, but it's also, it relieves a lot of the pressure on you, the person who is eating there and ordering because you already have something that is being recommended to you. Now, whether you trust that recommendation or not, that I think is up to you. But for restaurants that really are trying to make an effort of having food and wine going together as a highlight of the experience, I find that that is a very, very valuable thing to have on a list because it relieves some of the stress and some of the tension of having to ask the question of, oh, what goes with this? You know, somebody has already thought of that for you because they know that you are going to ask that question. So yeah, I feel like it's really nice to know and like look at that and know, oh, People have put thought into the food and wine pairings and my experience in this restaurant. The, you know, your brain might not necessarily take all those steps, but that's what that is saying. So I really like when there is obvious thought that goes into that experience that makes it a little bit easier on the person. Who- I liked how you highlighted people because that is the key with. The oh, staff absolutely. is the key. They have to help you. Staff I, I is mean, the key. Managers, servers, psalms, whoever it yep. is, they're there to help you and they should be there to help you. So don't feel nervous of asking anyone. Like we talked, your primary thing was to train the staff and any good restaurant will train anyone who's there to help you with wine. So they're all on the same page as far as suggestions with the Mm -hmm. pairing. Now, most also make their list, like you were saying, their wine list is based on their menu. It's based on the menu. A lot of times you can't go wrong because they know they want to make them to go with the foods that they're selling you. Right. And the suggestion thing, Kim, like I think that is the best things that most restaurants don't do. They Mm -hmm. tell me the specials, push more wine in, say, this is the special tonight. It will go excellent with this wine. I don't know why they don't do it. It's almost like, why don't they put the glass to force me to think of wine type (laughs) thing? You've mentioned that before. Yeah. Why don't I think I, you know what? I think I know part of the answer to that of why. No, no, no. The other one that why do some restaurants not have like the the server immediately have this goes with this, this goes with this, because that education portion can be it's very it's time consuming. It's labor intensive. It costs resources to train your staff on really understanding about wine. So I feel like it there's yes, there's that first step of saying, okay, this wine that we have on the menu goes really well with the scrod today. But then when the person who's eating there saying, oh, will you tell me why? And if the server hasn't gone through a wine education program to understand why does that wine go with that meal, then they're going to be stumped and then they're going to feel like they don't know what they're talking about. So, I mean, I feel like it's one thing for a consumer 
to feel sort of out of their league when they're asking questions and maybe don't feel like super smart when you're in a store trying to buy a wine. But if you're at work and you get stumped by a question like that, it feels awful. (laughs) It feels so terrible. So I'm wondering if that is part of it because it's the level of wine education, which is why it's so great when restaurants have dedicated beverage staff even if they're not a psalm, like even just maybe your bar manager, you know, in addition to whipping up really, really good cocktails, maybe they also know something about wine. And so they are your go-to person when the person who's ordering wines for the table has multiple questions. It's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go ask Jeff (laughs) to come over here and answer your questions because Jeff is the person who knows about these wines. So I think it's, it shouldn't be an all or nothing thing, but I think in a lot of places it comes down to that. So here's something I had to ask you, Kim. When you go to a restaurant, many times the server comes up to you. The first thing last is anybody like any drinks, right? How many times have you heard that when they Almost come to all the, the table, time. right? <laughs> they never approach and say, you know, is anybody thinking of wine tonight to have with their meal before they ask you? Why is that the etiquette to ask drinks? Because they don't want to promote alcohol or to me, I'm thinking as a, a geeky guy and a wine lover, if someone came up to me and the first thing they asked me is, am I thinking of wine tonight to go with the meal? It puts me in another spot. It right away yeah. makes me think I should do a food. Huh. I'm in this beautiful restaurant. I should do a food and wine pairing. And then it gets me to ask them a, another question of what, yeah. what do you suggest, right? So maybe I'm thinking a lot of times they don't do that because like you said, the servers are not trained to really promote anything like that. I think it's simpler than that. I think it's that you don't have a cocktail after you have wine. So if they're... You, they'll give you, a, you your beer in in, in uh Mixed drink first. You have a cocktail then, first. Yeah. yeah. You can't go backwards. But is there any, were you involved in any <laughs> training like that to, to that point of how to approach the table or try um, to promote? Yeah. Yes. But I, I, I think the philosophy really is meet people where they're at. So you don't want to be necessarily pushing wine on a table that isn't going to be drinking wine. So using the term drinks is a little bit more all inclusive. So if someone has, maybe they can't consume alcohol, maybe they don't like alcohol, maybe they're going to be drinking an iced tea regardless of what you say. I think using the term, would you like a drink to start, can mean a martini or it can mean an iced tea. Right. So I feel like it's not trying to push aside, let's do food and wine pairings. I think it's more, let's allow people to order what they are comfortable ordering without necessarily putting them on the spot. Like, well, why aren't you ordering alcohol? Yeah. So that's what I think it is. That's just me thinking wine, of course. No, of course. But I I love when servers have insight into these are the wines that will go with these particular, like, I think that that brings the dining experience up to a completely different level. level. Yeah. But I think you can do it with other things as well. But, but I still, I feel like part of that is just like, all right, I'm not going to have a glass of wine and then have a sidecar. You know, I'm going to have the sidecar first while I'm deciding what I'm going to order. And then I'll have a bottle of wine with my meal. And you mentioned comfort, Kim. And I think that's a a very important thing when you're in the restaurant. Make sure you're comfortable with the budget you want to spend. Don't feel pressured Mm -hmm. for certain price points. Don't feel pressured. You have to buy a whole bottle. Think of the volume you're going to drink with the meal. Do you want a glass or do you want a bottle? And And really creative restaurants these days are doing like 
little carafes. Maybe it's a third of a bottle that two of you will share so that you each get a taste. Maybe there's a tasting flight. There's a lot of really interesting things and creative things that restaurants can do so that you get the experience without necessarily having to order, you know, oodles and oodles of alcohol. I wanted to ask you an etiquette question, Kim, because we always talk about when you order a bottle, the presentation, the cork, this and that. What is the etiquette if I just order one glass of wine and they bring me the wine? They never, they just usually put the glass down to leave, right? I mean, there's yes. no, there's no, that's the thing. They pour it behind the bar. They do, they will not, if it's a, like a wine by the glass thing, they're not going to pour it at your table. Right. I know that. But I mean, when it bring it to the table, they don't wait for me to tell them that glass, the nope. single serve is any good. No, nope. I approved it because nope. they just give you the glass. They just give it to you. They don't yeah. say, and they don't say, like when they present you a bottle, they say, you got the, 2020 Kendall Jackson Chardonnay no. and they presented it. But when you get a glass, here's your, you know, they don't say here's your Chardonnay. No. Or, I have never, ever, ever seen anything that talks about following the presentation rules if it's just a glass. Yeah. No. It's strange. And you would think there'd so, be something. You know, why has this never occurred to me? <laughs> this has never entered my brain, but you're absolutely right. The, you, uh, you don't it even should know be you got that you right taste thing. it. Yeah. Because I know that I've been in situations where I've ordered a a glass of wine from their wine by the glass list at I don't even know what restaurant. And they put it down in front of me. And that bottle has obviously been opened for like four days. Yeah. And and I've had to send it back because I'm like, no, open me a fresh bottle. This is not good anymore. But you're right. Then you have to like flag down. And then you feel like the jerk sometimes when you have to take that step. But yeah, there's no like waiting there for you to smell it and taste it and be like, oh, yeah, that's sound. I'm Do you good. feel that the restaurant service for wine has declined? Obviously, COVID affected a lot of restaurants. But do you think before the pandemic, service in general for wine in restaurants has declined? No, not before the pandemic. I think that the pandemic has really made a complete and utter mess of restaurants. And I can't say that I know too much about what's going on nowadays for restaurants, because frankly, I haven't been dining in restaurants. I mean, I've probably only been out to do outdoor dining when that was feasible because I'm one of those crazy freaky people who've been like really, really nervous. But I know I feel like before the pandemic, there was a lot of creativity. I didn't necessarily see this whole like wine lists are going more mainstream for the restaurants that I tend to go to. I found, yes, maybe the, the wine lists were getting smaller, but I also thought that they were getting more thoughtful. And I think it'll be very interesting as we move out of the pandemic to see how the culture of what we drink in restaurants changes. Because I feel like now, if you're going out to eat, you're really going out for the experience. And I, I feel like a lot of the change has moved towards cocktails because there's something unique and the handcrafted idea of, you know, somebody behind that bar is making me a really cool cocktail that that's something I can't do at home. Whereas, oh, I can buy this bottle of wine at at a store. And so therefore I can buy it at home, buy it and then drink it at home. I feel like the experiential nature of craft cocktails is different than buying a ordering a glass of wine at a restaurant but that's not to say that wine doesn't go better with food than a cocktail does so i I think we're just going to have to wait and see 
what happens post COVID, but I didn't feel like before the pandemic that wine was on the decline necessarily in restaurants. My number one tip what I ask when I go to a, a restaurant with a wine list is I always ask, what do you have here in your restaurant that I cannot get in a retail store? That's where I start because- That's super smart. Just because we're in the industry, yeah. I want to know what I can't get if I want to taste it or sell mm-hmm. it. So what is your like number one how to order restaurant tip? I mean, you and I are, I almost feel, feel like we follow different rules because we know so much sometimes, but I like looking for things that are unusual, not necessarily unusual regions or grape varieties, but I try to find producers that I haven't had before. Do you but ask maybe that, regions though? I've never had before. Like you, if, if you if, ask if, them that, do you say they obviously, Sometimes, when you start talking, they're going to know you're in the industry. Yeah, so, so I'll peruse the wine list and I'll be like, I've never seen that before. And then I'll yeah. I'll ask questions of the servers. And it's and it's funny because we have a, a favorite local restaurant that, that we go to that has really good food and a really good wine list. And <laughs> I, I must be so chatty when it comes to the wine list because the servers know me when I go back. I'm like, I haven't been here in six months. How do you still know what I ordered last time? Like, <laughs> like, oh, I must have really made an impression. That's the wine geek coming Oh, my in. God. Yeah. But but I like to see those unusual things and then talk to the server about that. And like, I really have to ask you, what's up with this wine? You know, so and like for me, that's fun. But for restaurants that have some of those more unusual wines, I don't know that that is necessarily a, <laughs> a good playbook to follow if you aren't super comfortable with ordering something that you really have no idea what you're going to get. But I will say that more and more, I have run across, if I have questions about a particular wine on a wine list, a lot of restaurants now are doing way more wines by the glass. I'll be offered a taste. And I've found that with a lot of breweries too, that if I don't know if I'm going to particularly like a beer, they're like, let me just pour you an ounce and you can yeah. try it. I'm like, that's super awesome. Yeah, that's a good then feature. you know. It's very rare though. It's yeah. rare, but when it happens, it's really, really wonderful. So that kind of comes back to our, you know, Corbin conversation from a few weeks ago. It's like, right. if there, if systems like that were, were more in place, I wonder how much more experimental people would be if they were able to have one ounce taste of something completely unusual and just close your eyes and taste the wine. Do you like it? It doesn't matter if you don't know where it's from, if you don't know what this grape variety is. Do you like what it tastes like? And if the answer is yes, then you should drink it. Because sometimes I feel like people are scared by the things they don't know on that label. But if it just comes down to what the flavor of that wine is in your glass, and does that go with your lamb chop? You know, (laughs) does that go with your piece of cod? Does that go with your roast chicken? Do you like it all together? Then that's your answer. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Kim and Mark. You can find more information about Mark at his website, franklinliquors.com, and more information about myself and my classes at commonwealthwineschool.com. And as always, you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We are The Wonderful World of Wine. This is Kim, and I'm here with my co-host, Mark. And we had a really cool sort of funky article to talk about, about is wine alive? And if the answer is yes, what is it alive with? (laughs) This is sort of one of those like wine geeky things. And this is one of those things that I always tell my students, you know, when we talk about how wine changes over time, whether it changes in the glass 
or whether it changes in the bottle. And we're talking about aging wine or wine going bad or wine reaching a peak of drinkability and then sort of falling off. Sometimes we like to talk about it as wine as a living organism, but it's interesting to read about, yes, there actually are living organisms in that bottle of wine. And how do they change that beautiful beverage that we all love? Oh, now we're scaring the listeners. They're like, oh, I know. Don't, don't tell <laughs> like, me. Oh my God, yeah, there's don't a lot tell me about this. Yeah, there's certain topics we hit and probably turns people off on wine. But, you know, most of the time saying a, a wine is alive would refer to something like body or acidity. But unfortunately, well, I don't want to say unfortunately, there are microbial population going on in the, the wine that can actually survive for hundreds of years, right, Kim? I mean, there's things in there. I don't know about hundreds, but definitely hundred yeah. decades. Yeah. But I but I kind of like to think about it in terms of other foodstuffs that are also created by fermentation. So there's a lot of living things in your container of yogurt in your refrigerator, yeah. probably good, a whole lot more than in your bottle of wine. So your cheese, your yogurt, your sauerkraut, your probably your hot sauce even. You know, this is, there's a lot of microbial activity that goes on to create really delicious compounds and foods. I feel like a lot of the foods that give us the most like zing and pleasure are created by microorganisms. And wine is just one of those things. But it does... Yeah, it does impact how that thing changes over time. And it's it's sort of wild that wines can last for decades and that there are still things in there that can be awoken. See, don't you find it funny, Kim, that I won't explore a lot of foods because I'm nervous about this stuff, but I drink all the wine that's out there? You no, know, not, I don't think not about really. It. <laughs> Everybody's funny in their own way. So we're talk, you talk I'm not going to be bringing you any homemade kimchi anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> so there's yeast, bacteria, fungi, would you say? I mean, there's No, there are shouldn't alive. be any fungi in there, really. Well, so we're really just talking about yeast. Yeast, mostly. And, and sometimes there's good bacteria and bad right. bacteria. Good bacteria, yep. Yeah, okay. See, the, and I think that that's something that consumers should know and should understand is that, so wine is generally a very, very stable product. So even though it is created by a microorganism, by yeast, and, and it's, it's actually a variety of yeasts that contribute flavor and contribute the, the magic of fermentation to wine, it is such a stable product that, I mean, you have a bottle of wine that you can conceivably leave at room temperature for decades and will not produce anything inside that bottle that will kill you. <laughs> like, yeah. There's not a whole lot of foodstuffs that you can say this. It's not bottled under pressure. You don't have to do anything really unusual to it in order for it to have this amazingly long shelf life. It is incredibly stable. And yes, there are still yeasts and other things in that bottle. But there is so much about wine that. I think it's the other part of it that is amazing. It's like, it's not so weird that it's got microorganisms in it. It's the opposite. It's weird that it, it can live for so long without having to be refrigerated or having to be frozen or bottled under pressure or all of these things. So I think that that is something that people should feel comfortable, you know, more comfortable about is that 
wine really is this thing that is incredibly, incredibly stable because it's higher in alcohol. It's higher in acidity. It has all of these conditions that is really makes it an environment that living creatures can't do anything in. So it's not going to grow botulism. It's not going to grow all of these nasty things that sometimes we have with foodborne illness. None of that stuff is going to live in wine, Won't kill thankfully. You. Yeah, and you'd be surprised how many times this comes up in my house when a bottle is open and oh, it's it's been here for a week. It's is not it bad? Hurt you. No. I'm like, drink it. Nothing's going to happen. If it tastes bad, it's bad. If it tastes okay, yeah. it's okay, <laughs> right? And so- that is like so. I feel like wonderful about wine as somebody who's a home canner. So I can a lot of jams and fruits and pickles and and all sorts of funky stuff. And you really have to be careful when you're preserving those sorts of things. And then on that other end of the spectrum, it's beer and wine. And it's like, nope, we're fine. <laughs> like This is no matter how you treat it. It might taste terrible. It's not going to hurt you, which is so this, cool. This article, Kim, was in pickswine.com. And they mentioned natural wines, which are mm-hmm. generally unfiltered, un. I don't know what to say, altered. They're just, you know, taking what's given to I would describe them as having less human intervention. Right. So would you say those wines are classified as more alive because there's less done? Not because there's less done to them, except to the point of filtration. So they're not necessarily produced in such a way that all of the yeast is removed or that you're filtering out every last little solid particle of grape skin or yeast residue in there. So there are things in that bottle that maybe can start to re-ferment or gets cloudy. Yeah. So it's more of an environment where stuff like that can continue to happen as opposed to a bottle of wine that's been fined, it's been filtered. Maybe the yeast has been killed off because of a heat treatment or, you know, the the filter that it's gone through is so fine that yeast particles are too big and they can't fit through. So yeah, I think with the method of producing um, some of these more natural wines that the winemakers are just like, yeah, we're just going to let nature do its thing. And we're all going to clear every last little microbial element out of the wine and what happens happens. So I think the description in this article was really fair in that sometimes there is higher acid. Sometimes there is a little bit of a spritz, you know, that that feeling on your tongue when you sometimes drink a wine that's not meant necessarily to be bubbly, like it's not a full bubbly wine, but there's something on there that sort of tickles and prickles your tongue. That is a result of some extra fermentation going on in the bottle after the wine was done. And that only happens when you still have some yeasts or some other microorganisms still doing their work in that bottle on that wine. They mentioned the natural wine could have 50 types of bacterial cells in them compared to a conventional wine. And I think that's just a filtration thing. I think that a lot of wine, especially if it's made, you know, a little bit more old school, you know, meat. Oh, totally. Because totally they're sense. leaving totally things in there and things are going to grow a little bit. It doesn't yep. necessarily mean it's bad, but. Yeah. And I, I think it's more like thinking about it in terms of the stuff that you would make for dinner in your house, in your own kitchen versus something that is made in an industrial, Good an industrial kitchen. You know, so when you make a loaf of bread at your house, 
it's going to turn out differently than at the Wonder Bread factory, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> even though, you know, I mean, processes and ingredients aside, you're going to have some other stuff floating around in your kitchen that is not going to be in an industrial factory setting. So I think that that is a nice way to look at it too. The last thing I wanted to ask you on this alive topic, Kim, was, and you mentioned it, you started mentioning about spritz and fizzy and bubbly Mm-hmm. in wine. Would you consider sparkling and fizzy wines as alive because of the acidity and because of the the vibrance of what's going on, the carbonation? To me, when, when I was always thinking of this term, I'm thinking acid and I'm thinking fizz. I mean, to me, it wakes you up. So to me, uh-huh. it's alive. Do you relate it in any way to that? No, I have actually never used that term to describe texture of a wine. Yeah, I've never used it. It just when no, I no, I would it, I, no. Know? When I when I think of this wine is alive, I'm literally thinking about the changes that can happen to that wine over time, based on sort of metabolic things going on in that wine. Whether it's oxygenation, how oxygen is reacting on a on a chemical level to the juice itself. Or if we're talking about, again, that microbial activity, but I would not use the term alive to describe necessarily spritz or whatever in something like champagne, because yes, champagne uses all that same yeast action that we need for you know all of our fermented beverages, but all of that has been filtered out before that wine hits the shelf for you to buy it. I wouldn't use the word alive to describe that textural thing. Nope. Okay. So on that note, you're drinking a wine, you're thinking, oh, this is alive, but based on your definition, would you then say this will be long lived? This will age based Depends on, on the wine. that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So you could say this is alive, but its life is five years. This is alive, but its life is 10 years. I mean, I, I can, I can give thing. a guess. <laughs> Yeah. No, like it's kind of it's, it gets to the point where you know, no, I know what you that's mean. one of the things in geeky wine tasting that you evaluate sure. a wine, you're supposed to say Right. And you're like, okay, this is still young. Five, less than five. I would love five. to taste this in five years and see how it has developed. Absolutely. Right. So in a way yep. we're basing it all on is the wine alive? Mm-hmm. Right. If, mm-hmm. I guess. So and where it is in its lifespan. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it was an interesting thing. It's something we've never really touched base on before about saying a wine is a lie. And there's a lot of talk about natural wines. And Mm -hmm. I think it's one of those more like modern sort of up and coming ways of talking about wine. You know, we've, we've talked about new terms that have entered the vocabulary of describing wine, like crunchy is one of those words that is new and that we didn't, I, I would say, come of age with our wine education, having that word as part of our regular descriptive lingo. So I think alive kind of falls into that same category. It's like, yes, we've always sort of understood this concept, but not the idea of maybe using that word to describe the lifespan or the ageability of the wine. Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us here every week on Franklin Radio, WFPR 102.9 FM. You can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. If you'd like more information about Kim, you can find her at CommonwealthWineSchool.com. For more information about myself, please go to FranklinLickers.com. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.